Now, <clears throat> today we're in Exodus chapter number 12. I hope that you brought your copy of God's Word. And we'll look with me to Exodus chapter number 12. And we've titled this message today, A Night to Remember. And indeed, this is one of the most significant turning points in all of the Scripture. And so if you look with me to Exodus chapter number 12, and we're going to begin this morning with verse number 1. Exodus 12, beginning with verse number 1. <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be a beginning of months for you. It's the month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. And if the household's too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people, you should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats, and you're to keep it until the 14th day of the month. And then the whole assembly of the company of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They may take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat at night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning, you must burn. Here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you're to eat it in a hurry. It's the Lord's Passover. And I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You're to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statue. Amen. Verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, Brush the lintel of the two doorposts with the same blood in the basin, and none of you may go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel 
and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land, the Lord will give you as he's promised. You are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and he spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshipped. Then the Israelites went and did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Verse 42, it was a night of vigil in honor of the Lord because he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. This same night is in honor of the Lord, a night vigil for all the Israelites throughout all their generations. Verse 50, then all the Israelites did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on the same day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt according to their military divisions. Amen. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Tonight, uh, today, as we look at this passage of scripture, we're considering this a night to remember. It's to be a permanent statue among the Israelites. Passover festival still celebrated today. Passover in all of its meaning. And tonight, today, as we look at this and the history of it, we're going to notice the painful problem that the children of Israel had. Secondly, their inability to, to self-rescue. Thirdly, that they God's plan for their rescue. And then God's provision for their rescue. And then our response to how God has provided for us. We will not only look at how God rescued the children of Israel, but how it points forward to how God would rescue all of us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen? Amen. Exodus is a great story. It's a story of God's dramatic rescue of the children of Israel from slavery. And it's about the making of a nation. It's kind of like when we read these events in the life of, in Exodus. It's like what 1776 means to us, except much, much greater. What, is, what happened in 1776? Did anybody take history when you were in school? All right, it is the declaration of what? Independence, the constitution of our country. It marks the date of the birth of America. And this declaration of independence was from tyranny, as we perceived it, from England as a colony. And we wanted to be independent, our own people, and not under their thumb. No longer to be a vassal colony but new and declared independent. But Egypt's rule was much more severe. 
over the Israelites and much longer lasting. It was more difficult. You see, the land that had once become a refuge during the famine for Israel and his sons during the days of Joseph, now it has become an oppressed captivity. And it's hundreds of years that they've been in captivity. This small band of 75 has now become hundreds of thousands of people. And the length of time from Joseph to Moses is like the length of time from us today to George Washington, Ben Franklin, Madison, Jefferson. It's a long time. Generations have come and gone and lived and died. And Exodus is about how God delivered them. He delivered them from a national superpower, which was Egypt. And he's going to deliver them by his miraculous doing. It is not their ingenuity. It is not their strength. They have to be saved by God's power because they have no ability to save themselves. The promises of God are never forgotten. And God made his promises hundreds and hundreds of years before to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And now he's going to fulfill them. Whole generations were born, lived, worked, and died without ever seeing the reality of the promise. But now God is moving. And he is going to set his people free. You see, once they were not a people, but now they're going to become the people of God. That's what God's getting ready to do. It is his story. It's the story of how God is taking them out of bondage, out of pain, out of hopelessness, out of defeat. And he's taking them to the promised land that he's promised them. God has provided for our rescue as well. And he will deliver us too. And he's made provision for our deliverance. And we're going to get to that in the middle of this sermon. Amen. Now, first of all, notice this painful problem. To see, in chapter number 3, Moses, as you'll remember, was an Israelite. And remember how he was saved as a little baby. And remember how he grew up in Pharaoh's household, raised as, reared as a child of Pharaoh to, by Pharaoh's daughter. And he had all of the learning and training that the best of Egypt had to offer. But he was Jewish. And he continued to ha understand that he was a Jewish man, but raised as an Egyptian Pharaoh's son. But remember, he was now living outside of Egypt as a fugitive because of a murder that he had committed, trying to defend one of his own Jewish Israelites. And so he's an outcast and a fugitive from Egypt. He's living like a shepherd. He is shepherding the flocks of his father-in-law in Midian. And this man there is out watching his flock. And he remember the story. He sees a bush that is on fire. And when he sees it on fire, he observes that it's not burning up. And he comes closer to it and he hears a voice 
coming out of the bush on this mountain. And as he approaches it, he says, you need to take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. I think I'd do that too. And then he, is, he bows low. He is he's confronted with the holy. And God says these words in chapter number 3, in verse number 7. The Lord said, I've observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. Notice that. I've observed, I've heard, I know. Verse 8. And I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, to bring them from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanite, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Aren't you glad you're not reading this passage of Scripture? And so the Israelites cry for help has come to me. And I've heard also, I've also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10, therefore, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse number 16, go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me and said, I have paid close attention to you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I will bring you out of the misery of Egypt. Wow. You see, Moses is an outcast and a fugitive, but God is saying, I have seen, I've observed the pain of my people and their cries, and I've heard them as they've cried out to me and say, God, help us. We're suffering. And I know, and now I'm acting, and I've raised you up, Moses. I'm sending you, and I'm going to rescue my people, and I'm going to bring them to the promised land that I promised. Isn't it comforting to know that God sees our pain, whatever we're going through? Amen? This past fall, mission team from our church went to Bangladesh. While we're in Bangladesh, we had the opportunity to meet near a refugee camp of the Rohingyas. If you don't know the plight of the Rohingyas, it's a horrible story. Myanmar, which is a neighboring country to Bangladesh, one of the poorest countries, has the, the, the Hindus have exacted an ethnic and religious persecution and cleansing in their country and driven the Rohingyas out of their land. 750,000 people fled to Bangladesh since 200, 2017. The Prime Minister of Bangladesh says today 1.1 million Rohingyas live in Bangladesh. These are the conditions they live in. They're isolated in refugee camps that they cannot leave without certain permission. They have no citizenship. They have no access to services, no access to hospital or medical care or education. 
They have very little food, terrible sanitation. They are vulnerable, impoverished. Marauding gangs are running wild. There's no police. There's ongoing kidnappings and sexual assault and murder. There's no protection, no rights, no government, no advocates, no care. Over a million people huddled together in a camp with no hope, and no other country will receive them. While we were there, a dozen or so of these people we met with. While we could not go into the Rohingya area, they snuck out and we met with them and they shared their story with us. With brokenness and tears, they shared about their plight and the hardship and the rapes and the kidnappings and the murder and the theft and the fear for their lives every day with no hope for it ever getting better. And as I looked into the faces of those who are gathered around the table together with us, I wept and I said, I know there's a God who knows you, who knows your plight, who sees you, who loves you, and who cares for you. And he is with you, and he can help you. And these Christian Rohingyas said, it is the sustaining presence of God in prayer that holds us. Otherwise, we would have no hope at all. God sees these that are impoverished and held captive, the Israelites, his own people. I want to share with you that we too have a problem. We also are, we also are held captive, not in the same way, but even a more severe way. Because of our sins and our trespasses and our disobedience to God, we find ourselves in this condition. Ephesians 1 says, Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You're not only in bondage, but you're dead, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclination of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. We're children of wrath, under wrath, deserving God's punishment. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. This is the horrible plight that we're in. We even though we've been anesthetized, even though we've been lulled asleep by the lack of poverty that most of us have. Quite honestly, we're just as lost and in captivity. And we need a Savior, too. Romans chapter number 3, verse number 9. It says, what then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it's written, there's no one righteous, not even 
one. My friends, Paul is making his case. He says the Gentiles are far from God and lost, and they have given themselves foolishly to idolatry, but so have the Jews. And we're all under sin, and there's none righteous, no, not one. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and there's none righteous, no, not one. All of us are deserving death. All of us have no hope. All of us are lost. And notice what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse number 20. No one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. There is no hope. And so in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all guilty before holy God. We have no standing. We're all sinners. We're all captive. We're all separate from God, and none of us have any hope. The second point that is found in this great story of Exodus is the inability to self-rescue. We cannot rescue ourselves. Now, Israel could not rescue themselves. Did they have any strength? Did they have any power? Did they have any political means? Did they have any military might? Did they have any ability to rescue themselves? Absolutely not. Look with me to Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6. Therefore I will tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you from an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as possession. I am the Lord. Have you noticed who the hero is in the rescue? It's I. And that's the Lord God. He is the one that does the rescuing. This is what I'll do for you. You can't act. You don't have any power. You can't unionize. You can't politicize. You have no military strength. But I'm getting ready to do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. Only God could do it. At this point in time, there are two million Israelites living in, in Israel, in Egypt. They're under the thumb of the world's superpower. They have no weapons, they have no training, they have no power, they have no political power, they have no refugee, they have no status. They're slaves, refugees. Folks, now listen to me. When our problems are big, and their problem was big, and when our power is weak, and their power was weak, then God shows his strength and his power. Because it's not by their hands, but it's by his hand he will deliver them. Folks, listen to me. We cannot deliver ourselves from our sin problem before holy God. Amen? You see, there is a way that seems right to a man, man but the end thereof leads only to death. The Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21 and 22 says, For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. Now listen, a wicked man's iniquities will trap him, 
he will become entangled in the ropes of his own sin. You think you can save yourself, but you can't. You think, I'm not that bad, but you are. Some of you are tempted today to say, well, I'm not so bad compared to other people I know. I, I know other Christians. I, I'm not so bad compared to them. I'm not so bad compared to my co-workers. You ought to see them. I'm not so bad compared to my relatives. Oh, you ought to see my relatives. You ought to see mine. I'm not so bad compared. I even know Pastor Tim. I'm not so bad compared to even Pastor Tim. Folks, you don't compare yourself to Pastor Tim. You see, the stack pole against which we're measured is not your relatives or your co-workers or fellow students or even your pastor. The stack pole against which we're measured is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the perfect one, and we are sinful ones. The Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, and you can't save yourself. You are worthless, you're broke, and you need to be rescued. And there's only one that can do it, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Paul cries out, what wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's our only hope. Thirdly, what is God's plan for rescue? First of all, what is his plan for the nation of Israel? Notice in chapter number, Exodus chapter number 11, beginning with verse number 4. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, About midnight I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who's at the grindstones, as well, well as every firstborn of the livestock, and there'll be a great cry of anguish throughout all the land of Egypt, such as has never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even the dog will snarl, so that you may know the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Verse 8. For all these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will get out. And he went out of Pharaoh's presence, fiercely angry. You know what? God said, I'm going to judge Egypt, and I'm going to bring judgment on Pharaoh and there had been nine other plagues that had gone before, but God said this time. And every time those plagues came, Pharaoh continued to harden his heart, and God hardened his heart, and God was going to bring his judgment upon them. And Pharaoh at other times had said, go ahead, go, go. But then he would recant and wouldn't let them go. 
But now, God says, I'm going to break them. And they will tell you, get out. And not only will they do that, they'll give you gifts as you leave. And I'll plunder them. God had a plan. But God's got a plan for you too. God's got a plan for your salvation. God's got a plan for your release. God's got a plan to give you a promised land. God's got a plan to give you life, abundant, full, and meaningful. And what is that plan? That plan is the sending of his son. You remember at Christmas season, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, how Joseph had heard that, that it became known that Mary was with child. And, and as he considered putting her away privately, he had this dream. And in this dream, an angel of the Lord spoke to him. And he says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. And listen, this is what she will give birth to a son, and you will name him what? Jesus, because he will what? Save his people from their what? Who's the one that saves? Jesus. We need a rescuer, and that is Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's no other name. There's no other ability to be saved other than what Jesus has done. This will fulfill what was spoken of through the prophet. A virgin will be pregnant and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel. God is with us. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God had a plan. A plan. He sent a Savior. God had a plan. He sent his son. God had a plan. He sent Jesus. For Jews and Gentiles alike, for all people, that we might be saved. In Luke's gospel, chapter number two, Simeon, who is a devout and righteous man looking for the consolation of Israel, when Mary and Joseph come in with the baby during to make their offering after, uh, for purification after the baby's just a few weeks old, and they come in, and there is Simeon. He takes the baby in his arms, and he praises God, and he says, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised for my eyes have seen your salvation. You've prepared in the presence of all people a light for the Gentile and glory for my people Israel. Listen, there's only one Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. Fourthly, God's provision for our salvation. Not only was our plan, God made the provision. Now, in the 12th chapter, which we read earlier, we'll not reread it. But in the 12th chapter, notice this is the plan. And this is the provision. I want you to go among your flocks, whether the sheep or the goats, and I want you to get a lamb, a year-old lamb. And I want you to get one that is unblemished, not one that is limp or not one that has some disease or not one that's kind of sickly, but you get a unblemished, spotless lamb. And you're to take it into your house. On the 10th day, you take it into your home. This would be the rite of Passover. It stays like a pet in your family until the 14th day. On the 14th day at twilight, this is what you're to do. As the evening approaches, and that's the marking of a new day, as the evening approaches, you are to take that one that's acted like, acted, lived with you like a pet. And you're to pull his head back 
and take a knife and slit its throat. And before your children, your whole family, they watch as the blood gushes, gurgles out from its cutthroat, and you capture it, that warm blood, in a basin. And you watch as the blood gurgles and the life drains out of that poor lamb. And he dies an innocent one for guilty ones. And then you take a branch of hyssop, it's like brush, and then you brush and paint the doorpost on both sides of your house and across the lintel. By the way, that looks like the sign of a cross nearly, doesn't it? And then you go inside the house and you sit with your family, keep your shoes on, keep your staff ready, eat your meal in haste, eat bitter herbs that remind you of the bitterness of this experience, eat your bread unleavened, no corruption, with haste prepared, because I'm getting ready to lead you out and you need to be ready to go. And then you eat the roasted lamb and you take your meal together. And then that night, I will pass over every house in the land. And in the middle of the night, where there is no blood, the firstborn will die. I'm bringing judgment. Now listen to me. They needed a lamb substitute because there was no one righteous without spot or blemish even among the Israelites. There had to be the death of an innocent and they're under the blood of the innocent so that they are passed over. Judgment not only comes to Pharaoh and all of Egypt, judgment would have come on every Israelite as well if they're not under the blood of the Lamb. You get it? You see the picture? When he sees the blood and an innocent died for the guilty ones, God passes over. Isaiah would write years later, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each and every one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This was a precursor to the coming of the sacrificial system where innocent animal victims die so that the people's sins might be atoned for. But the author of Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats can never really take away sin. They only pointed to one who would come. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. Stay with me, my friends. Our salvation is found in the Lamb of God. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, sees Jesus coming at the Jordan River, and he lifts up his eyes and says, Look, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Who is the one? Who is the lamb 
that was pointing to it in Exodus. It is pointing us to the lamb that God would send for all of our salvation. Amen? Amen. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 26, it is Passover. By the way, on the 10th of Nisan, just as it said in Scripture, on the 10th of Nisan, Jesus came down the road from the Mount, down to Mount of Olives and made his way and they sang hosannas on the 10th. And on the 14th, the Passover lamb will be killed. Notice, notice, you couldn't, this story perfectly matches in Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 26, Jesus is in an upper room where he tells his disciples to go. And in this upper room, he says, I want you to prepare the Passover so that I might eat it with you. And in chapter 26, on the feast, first of unleavened bread, they came with Jesus and said, where do you want us to make preparation to eat the Passover? He said, there's a certain man inside the city. Tell them you have need, and he'll show you the room. Verse 19 so the disciples did as Jesus had directed and prepared the Passover. Verse 20, when the evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. He says, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they each one said, surely not I. And he replied, the one who dips his, his hand in, with me in the bowl, he will betray me. Then verse 24, the son of man will, be, it will go just as it's written about him. But woe to the man to whom the Son of Man is betrayed. And so then notice in, 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 verse, uh, in this passage of Scripture, verse number 26. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples. Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup and he says, he gave it to them. This is the Passover meal. This is what had been practiced for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Every Israelite, every year, remembering the Passover. But on this night, Jesus said, this blood, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And in just a few hours, they would take Jesus Christ beaten and bloodied and they would take him outside of the city to a place called Golgotha and they would nail Jesus to the cross and there he would shed his life's blood and the Lamb of God was slain for all of us. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. You can't save yourself. You can't earn your salvation. God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our part, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, You were not redeemed from this empty way of life, that, uh, but with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for your sins. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other 
fount I know, nothing but the blood of my Jesus. He took my sins and my sorrows, and he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary, and he suffered and he died alone. That is what my great God did for us. Amen? And he, he sets free the captive. Oh, you remember the first sermon that he preached back in Nazareth? After he's launched his ministry in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, he's in Nazareth on the Sabbath day. He goes into the synagogue. You remember the story? And then when he's in the synagogue, they ask him to read. And they open the scripture. And then they say, scroll back the, rolled back the scroll. It was from Luke's, from Isaiah, chapter number 61. And it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set the oppressed free. Amen. And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus said, today, this scripture is fulfilled at its reading. Amen. That's what Jesus came to do. My friends, our salvation is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. Well, what about the children of Israel? After that night, Pharaoh and all of his, all of his leaders said, get out of here. And all the people blessed them with great gifts. And God led them out of captivity to become a nation, the people of God. Wow. My friends, God wants to save you. You're in your bondage, whatever it is. But Israel had to do three things have to happen. Number one, our response is this. We must trust God. Israel had to believe the word of Moses and Aaron. They had to believe God's word, and they did what God told them to do. They had to act in faith. Now, if they refused to do it, refused to take a lamb, refused to kill it, refused to put his blood on the doorpost, then judgment would come upon their house. My friends, when you refuse to obey God, believing God, listen, believe... My time must be up. <laughs> you got excited about nothing. Listen to me. Believing is not just saying, yeah, I believe that. Believing is acting in faith. They had to act their faith. They had to clean out the leaven. They had to kill the lamb. They had to paint the doorpost. They had to trust God's provision. They believed God. It's not just enough to say you believe in God. You must trust in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Surrender yourself to the Lordship of Christ and obey him. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scripture. And if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart 
God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Secondly, you need to obey him. Act on what you believe. Repent, therefore, and be baptized, that your sins may be wiped out, and sins and, and seasons of refreshing may come from the Lord. Turn, trust him, receive him. He'll set you free. And then give glory to God. The children of Israel's sons were to ask, what does this night mean? And they would tell the story about how God had gloriously saved them. My friends, it's time for the people of God to give testimony to all that will hear how Jesus Christ has set us free. Amen? Now, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what kind of oppression you're going through, hardship you're going through, bondage you feel like you're in, the guilt, the failure, the shame. We all have it. We all have stuff in our closet. We do. We go around pretending we don't. We do. But there is one who will set you free. And his name's Jesus. No matter what you've done, he loves you. He died for you. And if you'll turn to him, he'll give you life and freedom like you've never had before. Amen. Our praise team and praise band are coming, making their way up here now taking their place so that we can sing in just a moment. There's one that can set you free. And his name is Jesus. Only one can make you whole. And his name is Jesus. Years ago, I went to visit a woman who had attended our church. And her life was just a mess. I'm just a, just a mess. And she was crosswise with family members. She was, had messed up. She had been unfaithful. She was in a severe depression. And guilt and shame and bondage. And her family is so concerned about her. She wouldn't eat. She wouldn't drink. She said, I just want to die. She wouldn't talk. She was in a recliner in her house. I took another guy, a couple other guys with me, and this was years and years ago. And, and she wouldn't talk. She wouldn't respond. She wouldn't listen to anything. She was in this depression. She just wanted to die. I didn't know what to do. I said, you know what, we're going to pray. So one of the older guys that went with me, he started praying, and he was kind of a nervous cat anyway, and as he started praying, he, and, and he prayed for a minute, and then a younger guy I took with me, he was praying, and when he finished praying, then I started praying. And in the middle of that prayer, I just started pleading the blood of Jesus Christ. And that how Jesus died for our sins and that he was shed his life's blood as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. 
and that no sin can hold us in bondage, and Satan is defeated, and that Christ died and poured out his life. And as he shed his atoning life, blood for us is so that we could be made clean and we could be set free. And all of a sudden, I heard that recliner footstool come down, and I heard her say, Woo! I'm free! <laughs> goosebumps all over me. She jumped up and she said, praise the Lord. I'm free. I'm free. I didn't even finish my prayer. I thought that one of the, this older deacon guy who was with me, I thought he was going to stroke out and just die right there. And she said, brother Tim, and she came running toward me. I didn't know what to do. She threw both her arms. She said, Jesus, it's Jesus. He set me free. I said, amen. He has. She got baptized, and she never missed a Sunday, and her life was changed, and everybody in her family knew Christ set that woman free. He's still doing that today, if you'll go to him. Father in heaven. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this great story in Israel, but also the great story of redemption through Jesus. And I pray that if there's one here today that doesn't know Christ as Savior, that today they might turn from sin, turn in faith and believe and trust in Christ and be liberated today, forgiven, cleansed. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.